Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Hello, thanks for joining us in this episode of Pharmacy Hot Topics, where we sit down with content matter experts and discuss what is currently top of mind in the world of pharmacy. My name is Kimber Booth. I'm a pharmacist, healthcare leader, and entrepreneur, and I serve as a strategic pharmacy consultant. And I'm going to be serving as the host for this episode of ASHP's Hot Topics podcast. Today, we're going to be chatting with Commander USPHS retired Renee Robinson, who's the Associate Professor of Idaho State University College of Pharmacy in Anchorage, Alaska. We're going to talk about lessons learned in the establishment of a framework to support multifaceted initiative for pharmacy practice transformation. Today's discussion will summarize initial accomplishments and provide a framework for others invested in the provision and sustainability of pharmacists provided health services. Thanks for joining us today. So Renee, welcome. So good to have you here. So tell us a little bit about why you chose to investigate a framework to support initiatives for pharmacy practice transformation. So Kimber, thank you so much for having me. Chronic diseases such as diabetes and cardiovascular disease are really leading causes of death and disability in Alaska and among Alaskan residents. And so pharmacists, as the medication experts, are really the most accessible providers in many of these rural and underserved communities. And so research that we have found has indicated that if we address the risk from diabetes and cardiovascular disease through pharmacist-provided healthcare management, we could actually address many of the healthcare shortages and provide unmet care needs to those individuals living in these rural and underserved communities. However, what we're struggling with right now is really to sustainably provide those pharmacist-provided healthcare services because those costs need to be covered by some way, shape, or form. And so both those related to the dispensing of the medication, which we know are covered, but sometimes not covered fully, and then those non-dispensing services, which are often left off of most healthcare plans. And so this is really an addressable barrier for pharmacist practice transformation. And it's really what's prompted us to start with this Set'em Up project, which is really this partnership between the Alaska Pharmacist Association, the ISU College of Pharmacy, and then the Department of Health and Social Services, where we really started to think, how can we expand the number and sustainability of pharmacist-provided, non-dispensing kind of health management services provided in these rural and underserved communities? Fantastic, Renee. That is a perfect why to initiate such services, to fill in that gap in care. And I totally agree that pharmacists can be that answer, but it's not a, an easy automatic fit. So um, it's wonderful that you created the Set'em Up program and we look forward to talking more about that here. So when did you actually launch this effort? It's been a couple of years now. So we actually started this work in 2018 when the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services reached out to the Alaska Pharmacists Association to fund a demonstration project aimed at expanding kind of medication therapy management services provided to individuals, in particular, those with diabetes and cardiovascular disease in the state of Alaska. And it was at this point that we proposed kind of an expanded three-pronged approach to support um, sustainable delivery of non-dispensing health-related services to the Department of Health and Social Services, where we wanted to combine targeted research clinical practice support and education all in one one program. 
And so it was the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services support that resulted in this expanded kind of project and program, which initially was only supposed to be a one-year small demonstration project. And now we have five years of funding to really expand the program and expand the reach. Fantastic. Well, that's a great partnership to have been formed to create that. And I'm glad to see you've gotten the expanded support to continue. Tell us about what steps you took to identify those goals and objectives for this program, the Sustainable Education and Training Model under Pharmacist Provider Reimbursement, which is just a great acronym, by the way. Very cool for your your comprehensive project. So tell us more about your goals and objectives. Thanks so much. I'm glad you like the acronym. We had a lot of fun trying to create it when we were actually applying for the funding from the Department of Health and Social Services. So we thought that set them up for success really kind of added that kind of little kitschy kind of comment on how we wanted to approach our project. Did you end up giving an award for the person who came up with the acronym? I've seen some fun competitions where uh, the person who comes up with the best acronym gets a little little recognition prize. We did not, but that is a really good idea because I definitely think that acronyms help you start to relate. And we've been really excited seeing other people refer to the program outside of Idaho and outside of Alaska, where all of a sudden they start talking about the Set Em Up program and you just kind of have this like warm, fuzzy feeling inside. They're like, oh, they know of the program. They know, you know, of what we're doing. Yeah, perfect. Well, great. Well, let's hear about those goals and objectives. To identify the goals and objectives, our entire team worked with pharmacists, healthcare administrators, and community members across the state from a number of different practice sites to really better understand some of those barriers to sustainable provision of those non-dispensing health services. So we conducted a number of focus groups, interviews, and administered surveys to really identify, rank, and establish strategies for addressing these health service implementation barriers so that we could really ensure that whatever practice sustainability initiatives that the grant had, that we were able to complete and it was able to really address those unmet educational and technology needs, as well as those operational needs of the pharmacies and healthcare systems that sometimes differ across sites. And so we wanted to make sure it was as inclusive as possible. Looking at maybe, you know, healthcare systems that might have additional resources right now and be maybe a little bit easier to set up those practices versus a community pharmacy or an independent pharmacy that has fewer resources available to them to look at credentialing, you know, technology supports, et cetera. So we wanted to really kind of figure out how could we really identify and address needs across all pharmacy professions. Well, that is definitely a big task to take on, but I appreciate it. And we need to look across all of these practice settings for how we can collaborate and integrate care. So I commend you for taking that on. So tell us, how did you get around barriers to mobilize community and primary care pharmacists to address these current gaps in prevention and health management services, specifically as it pertains to the accessibility to Alaskans with the diabetes and cardiovascular disease you were targeting? So to address some of the barriers that program members um, identified, we collected and provided the data information and support to our AKPHA or Alaska Pharmacists Association Legislative Committee to help us really advocate for some of the changes that we realized needed to be addressed before we could address some of the larger barriers that existed. And so a number of our efforts were actually aimed at the reimbursement through House Bill 145 and recognizing pharmacists within the state of Alaska for the services that they're already providing. 
And then we looked at other additional kind of substantial credentialing supports um, in order to onboard pharmacists, billing software and other IT supports that we could offer to them. We provided some echo-based trainings to our pharmacy partners on how to document and bill for those services and added additional educational kind of initiatives to our meetings. The annual meeting that we have every year in February had multiple trainings that we offered to any pharmacist who was wanting subsidized so that they could come to those trainings to have a better understanding, an idea of how to approach this and maybe just break it up into smaller pieces. Because some of these barriers were really I broke it up into kind of educational barriers. Like, do we even know the questions to ask sometimes? And that can be overwhelming to a number of, of pharmacists who maybe haven't thought about billing or, or are easily kind of, you know, concerned with what the technology needs would be. To kind of the advocacy needs, we realized some of the things that were being offered and some of the supports that we thought we had maybe weren't all the way through the systems. And so just because the bill can be passed doesn't mean that all of the infrastructure that's required to make the bill actually work and to be implemented into practice has been addressed. And so I kind of felt like it was like an onion that every time we turned around, there was little pieces that we kept on going off and realized a new barrier or a new level of the barrier that we started to address. That is a nice, polite way to put it around onion in terms of uncovering things. I know in projects I've worked on, you do your best to create your your project plan, but things do come up that you didn't expect and it takes a twist and the efforts you're doing is going to make it easier for other people. And that's why it's great that you're creating this process and creating the framework so that it will be repeatable and quicker for others to do. So fantastic. So now that you're, you know, more than four years into this program, what are your key takeaways? So I think it does build off of that novel onion comment, I guess, is that you have to be flexible and that challenges are going to occur. And that though you, you can plan as much as you possibly can and try to address as many of the potential barriers that might exist, you're going to have to be flexible enough to understand that, you know, additional barriers are going to come up. And so when we started this journey, I thought if we got Medicaid added, you know, and we were added to the portal for Medicaid, that we'd be able to bill for those services and they would reimburse us and everything would be perfect. And that wasn't exactly the case. So we realized that we had to be added to, you know, the state plan amendment and that we had it had to be added to the actual kind of one of the covered services. And there were five covered services offered by the state that every one of them had to recognize us or, or we weren't going to be recognized as a whole. And so I think that there's these system level changes that we need to understand that may not necessarily be evident right away and that we have to come up with strategies to include as many of the important decision makers in these meetings so that we could maybe more effectively and efficiently identify those barriers to implementation. And that patience and perseverance is really what I've learned throughout this whole process. I thought we'd be done with this, like that first part of the project and be effective on all aspects and be adding and expanding a number of the services. And, and sometimes just that patience and having to kind of step back a little bit to realize that we don't know all of the barriers and we're going to have to explore and build off those together. That's fantastic. I know that I definitely always try to have like that kind of, you know, key, key stakeholder map of, you know, who do you need to include and making that as broad as possible, because I do hear you that having them in, involved and identifying these things early on, but I still think it's a challenge when things are new 
you don't always know who to include in that stakeholder list. That is fantastic. And then yes, perfect advice about the patience and perseverance. A lot of the business plans that I've written to help uh, advocate for roles and resources in health systems has come with perseverance, you know. I've been told no many times, the first few times until, you know, finally the fourth time, et cetera. And, you know, we owe that to our patients and our team members to keep pursuing it while we are still helping make sure everybody fully understands the role and value of pharmacists. So thank you for that and those great tips. Now let's talk a little bit about, you know, one of the goals obviously was related to patient access. So have you been able to quantify increased patient access in this program? So we have definitely increased the number of covered lives, kind of measuring the number of claims and charges submitted to a number of private and public insurers that we've been able to track and look at the types of services, as well as kind of some limited patient satisfaction data that we've collected from a number of our primary care sites. And so what we've noticed is there's definitely some differences across the different sites as far as how information is collected, how it's shared back with the pharmacist and with administration that have made it sometimes a little bit challenging to compare across the different types of practice sites. However, we're working with the epidemiologist at the state who is kind of part of this program and part of this project with the CDC 1815 grant to come up with different ways that we could potentially compare and contrast the information and identify those opportunities to better kind of coordinate and share that information with others so that they can come up with strategies of how to do this more effectively since this is really new. And so it's not like other things where, you know, we've had, you know, medical billing in certain arenas for years and years. So this is this is something that many practices haven't recognized pharmacists as billing the medical benefit for these services. And so identifying the best way to do this is, is still a little bit of a work in progress. And as we continue to identify ways, I think it's going to continue to kind of strengthen. We've also partnered with Mobile MediClaim to help collect some of our data from the community sites and the expanded community sites that we're onboarding this year. And, and that'll help to also kind of make it a little bit easier on those specific sites to decrease the data collection burden. Great, Renee. Thank you for sharing all of those nuances with the data collection, but it's really positive that you've been able to quantify an increase in patient access. For our listeners, can you just clarify, obviously you have a comprehensive program here. What are the three different types of sites that you're supporting? Sure, of course, Kinder. So we've actually have a pharmacist who's within a primary care practice. So she actually practices within um, one of the largest healthcare systems in Alaska. And so we have her as one of our sites. We also partnered with the largest FQHC or federally qualified healthcare center in Anchorage. And so we're working with them to actually kind of provide those additional services and, and bill for some of the, the diabetes education and supports that she's providing. And then we also have a community pharmacy, which is an independent community pharmacy kind of in rural Alaska. That was our primary kind of first site, but we're also expanding to three other community pharmacy sites that we'll be adding this year all across Alaska. So pretty much it's only the primary care site and the federally qualified healthcare center that are in urban settings where everyone else is really in more rural underserved communities. However, when you look at our primary care and our federally qualified healthcare center, a number of those individuals do come from outside or from some of those like outlying areas to get care. So they sometimes are also considered rural. Thanks for clarifying that. It's great. Again, very comprehensive program. Let's talk about some of the benefits. What other benefits did you realize that maybe were not planned as part of this effort? 
So I think one of the biggest potential benefits is really true monitoring and optimization of medication therapy. And so by providing the opportunity, space, and time for pharmacists to work with patients at each visit, you're really able to better tailor the care and meet the unique patient environmental and health needs that they have. And so kind of thinking in particular of, you know, within Alaska, there's a number of unique kind of environmental needs and supports that need to be addressed. And so we really need to kind of be a little bit more thoughtful sometimes in how we're actually providing those services. And so many of our communities may not have reliable internet access. Some of our communities don't necessarily have reliable you know, shipping. And so you're working with people where they are with the supports that they need in order to optimize their health in the best way that they can. And so I think it's really this kind of opportunity for us to be that support system. We see them more than any of their primary care providers. And so why not be that to them? Great. I fully agree. That's a great, great additional benefit and really putting the patients at the center of your initiatives. Well, I know you're working to, you know, make sure we can tell the story of this initiative and wanted to ask you what tangible tools you've produced that could be applied and help others to adopt and implement this practice transformation? We've actually developed a number of tools, but I will say that they are draft tools because we've continued to tweak them with each of the additional types of sites that have been added. So we have a draft billing and coding toolkit that we've refined with each of the sites that we've added to, to make sure that we're actually addressing some of the unique needs across the different sites so that people will be able to pick it up wherever they are. We also plan to eventually share this with other universities and provide training resources to them as we've implemented kind of additional training supports throughout our curriculum. So pharmacy students in P1, P2, P3, and P4 years, so across all their years, get some billing experience. And so that we hope that our pharmacy students, when they go out into practice, can become our advocates for some of those changes. And so I think it's that tangible kind of like continued knowledge. And if I'd share this last year, we had some of our P4 students who are out on rotation right now, who are with one of our provider sites. And she was so impressed by the knowledge that they had of billing and what they offered and brought to the table and kind of how they were coding for some of the visits that they've had that it really demonstrates this idea that we're really building towards kind of the future. And if we train at multiple kind of time points that in a few years, we can have everybody billing for those services and share across the different sites. One other thing that I didn't mention is we also do have calls that our Department of Health and Social Services during quarterly calls, we share our information and what we've been learning with different 1815 grantees across the country. And so she's connected us with a number of different healthcare centers and you know, pharmacy partners that are doing different and sometimes complementary initiatives that we've already started talking about the next steps and how we can share and utilize these resources more effectively. I view this as like something that's a, a continued how we can share and support each other. And hopefully in the next few years, as we make sure that things are really kind of dynamic and continuing to grow, that we make sure that we're helping everybody kind of grow with those changes. Fantastic. Well, I feel like we can't have a podcast episode these days without asking about how COVID-19 has impacted your program. And given, of course, the timing of this cooperative program, we're wondering how you were impacted because of COVID-19, positively or negatively. So I do think it's a double-edged sword. We've had some positives and some challenges, we'll say. So I would say that 
the number of claims submitted based on COVID kind of based initiatives increased. So we actually had a lot more support for the expansion of immunizations, expansion of testing, the expansion of things that translate across different health conditions, both chronic as well as kind of preventative. So I think that this awareness by the community as well as by decision makers and legislators has been a very big positive. Some of the in-person training and legislative efforts have been a little bit more challenging, kind of changing to Zoom and changing to, you know, maybe a little less engagement sometimes can be challenging for some individuals, especially in some of our rural communities where, you know, internet access and maybe they might require a little bit more handholding with some of the technology supports that make it a little challenging for them to kind of understand those pieces. So it's always better to have like the hands-on if we could, but we are definitely continuing to move on, you know, despite that. And so I think it's been a double-edged sword in so many ways that we wouldn't be here without it, but yes, sometimes it's a little exhausting. This is true. We are looking to recovering from it or living with it, but, uh, and I do see some of the benefits where, you know, telehealth has improved and patients are more open to that and, and that's been positive. And so we'll, we'll see. So thank you for sharing those insights. So as we're getting ready to wrap up, I do want to ask if you have any final advice for others who were thinking about pursuing such an implementation program. I'd say the biggest thing that I would recommend is to really reach out and engage as many individuals as you can. And so everyone has different experiences, skills that can be used to support kind of these healthcare provider collaborations to improve the health outcomes. And so we really need to focus on how kind of underserved, under-resourced communities can better partner and support each other in some of these initiatives. And so if we can get decision makers in the same room, legislators in the same room, healthcare administrators from various organizations, all learning from each other, I think we'll be able to really make and promote change. The other thing is, is that in smaller communities, we often have a number of people who wear a number of hats. And so really kind of capitalizing on our social network that we have and the number of hats that those individuals have so that we can double dip as often as we can to really kind of maximize the engagement that we have. So I kind of always think of in Alaska, you know, that person might be the fisherman who's also the legislator who's also, you know, getting prescriptions at your pharmacy. So how can we make sure to leverage all of those relationships that we have to really promote the change that we want to see? Fantastic. Great advice around working with people and collaborating. You know, I think that's something we we continue to work on holistically. And I know ASHP is always working to cross over and work with our other professionals and patient organizations so that we can work collaboratively to improve care. So wonderful. Thank you so much for all of this. That is all the time we have for today. I want to thank you, Renee, for joining us to discuss a framework to support pharmacists provided health services for pharmacy practice transformation. Thank you so much, Kim. I really appreciate the opportunity. You're very welcome. Well, for our listeners, I do want to suggest that if you haven't done this before, I encourage you to check out all of ASHP's online resources. You can find member-exclusive offerings such as the ASHP Practice Advancement Initiative, PAI 2030 Self-Assessment Tool, the Preceptor Toolkit, and the Research Resource Center, ASHP Professional Certificates, and more. And I know I and my teams have taken part in many of these resources. So thanks again for joining us for this episode of Hot Topics in Pharmacy, and we hope you've enjoyed today's conversation. 
Be sure to subscribe to the ASHP official podcast for more great content. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.